The latest philosophical ramble from Coming Up Next is coming your way in just a moment, my friends. But before we get there, are you subscribed to the show? It's very simple to do, and it's going to streamline your podcast listening experience. All you have to do is head to comingupnext.com.au, where you can find links to all the platforms that you might listen to podcasts on. Hit that link, hit subscribe, and then the show is going to download onto your device like clockwork each and every week. Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Coming Up Next. If this is your first time tuning in, please make yourself at home. And if you already make yourself feel at home, uh, welcome back. I'm Alistair Marks. This is the podcast ramble, the philosophical ramble, with some of the world's top creatives about how they've created a life of their own design. Um, And before we get into this week's episode... Thanks to my guest from last week, Amanda Logan. Amanda is the woman behind uh, My Goodness Kitchen, which is a a vegan blog that started out, uh, you know, in a very small capacity and has grown uh, quite significantly. And she's just released uh, her first cookbook last year, her first vegan cookbook. Uh, If you haven't checked it out, that episode, along with the entire back catalogue of podcast rambles, is available for your consumption at Coming Up Next .com.au, um, an absolute joy to introduce my guest this week, Rena Owen. Uh, you may know her from Once Were Warriors. Um, she was in Star Wars Episode 2 and 3. She was in AI. She is currently in the show Siren. Um, and she joined me from uh, across the pond. Um, and we, this, this is, this is a, uh, particularly spiritual episode. We haven't had one of these, I don't feel for some time, but, um, Renner and I, I guess we just kind of started on this, uh, on this topic and well, as you'll see, we, we didn't really get off it. Um, you know, we kind of circle around career, but it's really speaking in much more, I guess, uh, philosophical terms about what it means to, to be an actor, to have a career as an artist. Um, you know what, let's just get into it. Uh, please enjoy and make welcome uh, my guest this week, Renna Owen. know that you uh, you obviously grew up in, in New Zealand and I, I saw that you performed a lot in local cultural groups and, and when you were in high school. So I wonder if you recall when the first time that you did perform was? I think you've got to go back even before then and this is just a belief I have is everybody is born to be good at something. And I have no doubts I was born to be creative. I was born hypersensitive. I was very, very sensitive. I had a very vivid imagination. I was highly creative and I loved to play. And uh, I think my first memory of actually performing was probably when I had just started little people's school, primary school. So I was five years old and we were learning traditional Maori 
singing and dancing in front of the primary school. We were being taught by uh, Mrs. Few. So I have vivid memories of learning how to swing poise and swing my hips. And because I did grow up in the Bay of Islands, which is a somewhat of a tourist resort, uh, we would regularly entertain tourists and uh, other shows and community groups because these things were very vibrant when I grew up in the 60s and 70s and we had athletics every Wednesday night. We had a lot of community stuff that doesn't really go on now, unfortunately. And because I grew up in rural New Zealand, uh, Bay of Islands, which is in the north of the North Island, and because we grew up without technology, um, I mean, literally, my grandmother had a dairy farm and we kind of lived in the township where which kind of built up around the freezing works. So uh, I remember when my grandmother first got a TV. So as children, the wonderful thing about uh, zero technology is we were very creative. We had to create our own fun, which we did. And because it was rural New Zealand, we were, excuse me, always out playing and building huts and playing cowboys and Indians and um, bull rush. And we're, you know, in summer we're always down at the rivers and, or then, yeah, we'd be out at the beach. So our whole childhood was creative. We also had jungle gyms at school and we had gymnastics and, uh, you know, sports in New Zealand was a part of everyone's life. Um, so I did track and field. I did everything. Um, it's a hugely creative uh, I mean, you know, it's very different now. A lot of children don't even know how to talk to each other. They're just constantly, in, you know, got their face in technology. Um, so I always was in the Maori culture group. And uh, I was first published when I was eight years old. I wrote a poem. There was a children's contest for poetry for under 10-year-olds. And I won, and it was a poem about rain. And I won a whole five bucks, which was a lot of money wow. for, a, for a girl in the 60s. And my poem got printed. Um, and so I always remained in the Kapahaka group, the Māori Culture Club, and just naturally when I went on to Bay of Islands College, which is in Kawakawa, stayed in the Māori Culture uh, Club. And once again, we entertained other schools. We went touring around the country. We entertained at Waitangi Day, you know, the big tourist days in the Bay of Islands. And one particular performance, and I would have been about 50, going on 16 and our principal we had an amazing principal Mr Ledley he came and watched us perform and 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 we did a a, a girl's haka and I led this haka and he was very impressed with my performance and he said to Mr Gaze who was the head of the English department he said oh I think you better audition that young Owen girl she's got something so those were his exact words. So I got to audition for uh, Bloody Mary and the musical um, South Pacific, and I got the role. So that was my first big kind of stage production, and I was 16, and I never forgot the buzz I got off making people laugh. And I also never forgot the buzz I got from making my mum and dad proud. And the following year, I got promoted straight to the lead role of Calamity Jane and Calamity Jane. And I also did a couple of um, community plays. Um, one was for the Catholic Church. We were race Catholics. But at the end of the 70s, uh, it wasn't a career option to me. I mean, being an actor or writer was not considered a real job. Uh, as a woman, my career options were I could be a secretary, a teacher, a nurse. 
And thirdly, as a biracial girl, I had no role models. We didn't have brown faces on our TVs or movies. So I went off and trained as a nurse. I moved to Auckland and went through extreme culture shock uh, and uh, spent three and a half years nursing. And I qualified as a general and obstetric nurse. And then I went to London. And that's a whole different story unto itself. So I'll stop now in case you want to just review <laughs> anything from the first. Cause, you covered yeah, a lot of ground whole... there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I suppose I suppose the kind of thing that really sticks out to me is this idea that you knew or that you, you always felt, I guess, intuitively like uh, like you were destined to do something creative or have a, a creative professional Absolutely. life. Absolutely. I knew I was not cut out to sit behind a desk or do a nine to five. And I knew as a teenager when I did my first musical production, I thought, this is it. I found my place in the world, and I loved it, and I really thrived off it. In fact, as I wasn't doing well at, at high school, I was getting into trouble, and I was just a bit wayward. And then, you know, that musical came along, and it kind of changed my life because I found I found a place where I felt I belonged. And the following year, the principal gave me a book for my cultural contribution to the life of the school. So really, he was a big major part of going, I know what this girl needs and, you know, she's got this talent, that talent, and boom, she, he put me on that stage. And yeah, I knew, I knew, but unfortunately, uh, society wasn't aligned for me to kind of go on and make it a career of it. So I had to go through a whole lot of other life experiences before I, I got back to that path. Yeah. But I think I think most people know uh, intuitively know or just they know what they like they know what they're drawn to they know what they're attracted to they know what you want to wake up for I mean I, I knew the subject I was bored with and I just want to go to sleep you know so I think every that's just part of growing up you you have a sense I believe everyone has a sense of uh, what they like and what they don't like I remember at school I definitely felt most at home in the drama class or, or on stage as well that was that was definitely those were the classes that I always prioritized over anything else and those were the experiences that I kind of yearned for or, or, or thrived in yeah yeah same I remember actually one of my first reviews was for Bloody Mary they go it was very funny actually uh, it, it just said, you know, not too sure about her singing voice, but she's a good little actress. <laughs> <laughs> and I was. It was kind of just, you know, writing, acting. They've they've been intuitive, intuitive gifts. The, these are. I really do believe that God creates every single one of us to be good at something. And, and you can't be you can't be something you're not. You know, if you you just can't. You can spend your life trying to be, but it will never ever quite gel or click because it's not what you're born to do. So, absolutely, being a creative is what I was created to do. Do you do you feel as though your religious upbringing uh, helped you with that kind of certainty or or that uh, intuitive belief? No, not necessarily. But what it did, what I'm grateful for it, because yeah, that was kind of more about doctrine and dogma and uh, ritual. But the the thing I'm grateful for is that it gave me a concept of of God, of a God. It gave me a, a concept of there was something greater than me, and I always had a heart for God. I always believed in God, 
I don't necessarily uh, practice religion and I'm not into dogma doctrine. So, um, no, if anything, I think I had to work out a whole lot of, you know, a lot of Catholicism, Catholicism came with a lot of guilt and a lot of stuff you kind of have to grow out of or sort it out, you know. So, uh, yeah, I think it's wrong to kind of put that under religion because I do believe God helped me to find my way. But that doesn't come under religion for me. Okay. It comes under it comes under relationship. Right. I have a relationship with a God of my understanding. Am I still a Catholic? Yeah. Am I a practicing Catholic? No. But I'm still a Catholic. I was baptized a Catholic. And um, you know, if I was to kind of look at religion at all in the, in that kind of context, then I look at the man. I look at the human being that Jesus was. Unfortunately, I think religion's given Jesus a bad name because everyone sees the negative of Christianity versus what he was in terms of being the epitome of humanity, being human and coming to remind people about the law of love rather than the love of law. And also, I mean, I, I've often found myself saying that to gay friends of mine, you know. You wouldn't be sitting there judging. You'd be sitting in the gutter with a gay guy who's got AIDS. But we've all lost sight of that. We've all lost sight of, uh, of the, the purpose, of, of, I guess, of Christ. It's all been warped, if, like every religion gets warped and used for... for, for it gets twisted by man, but that, that's a whole another big conversation, and I'm not, I'm not an expert in that conversation, so I shouldn't have even started down that track. It's a personal, private thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's what I I respect with other people. It's not my business. Sure. Who the, if they believe in a god, if they don't believe in a god, it's not my business. It's a personal faith is a personal, private thing. And yeah, I've always had faith, and I definitely believe in God. And I, I don't believe I would be here if I hadn't have believed in God. I think I'll say one more thing about it because, as I say, if you want to cover Korea, then we just—it's uh, it, they're very big topics. Mm. Um, but you know, even as a writer, I am a, a merely a, as an actor. The way I approach writing and the way I approach acting—it's a spiritual intervention. I become a vessel. I become a vessel. Yeah, I do my homework. I learn my lines. But when I write, I know when I'm being inspired. I know when I'm being led. And when I act, when I open myself up and I just ask God to flow through me, it's, 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 a, it's a divine act for me. It's a spiritual act. Everything I do creatively is, first and foremost, a spiritual act. Yeah, I can take credit for getting my butt out of bed and doing the work and showing up. But then I let go and I let God. And that's magic and that's spontaneity and the best creativity comes out of that combustion. Yeah, I agree. I mean, my, I, I feel a similar way in, in my experience of, uh, of, of creative expression, I suppose, particularly when you feel very connected to, to whatever it is and however it is that you're creating. There is this feeling uh, of... Um, uh, a very, I, I get a very strong sense of connection to something otherworldly, I guess, for for lack of a better term. Well, it, it kind of, you know, it, for me, you, you have to go, you have to get out of your mind. And whenever you, you're put in a situation where you have to get out of your mind, that's a good place to be. 
because being in your mind isn't always a, a, a good place to be. That's the battlefield, and that's where ego is going to hit up against intellect and analytics and all of that. And I mean, for me, spirituality, I've got to go into my heart. And for me, the seat of God is in my heart. And for me, church is in my heart. That's my first and most primary church is in my heart, and that's where relationship happens. And it's it's a process of love. I believe that God is love, and love is God. Mm. And that we're on this journey as species learning how to love ourselves just the way God loves us. And I think that's the problem with a lot of religion is it would lead you to believe that you're not good enough or that you're guilty or that you're too much of a sinner or it's all that block. It's it's all that block. It's all that mental stuff, that uh, it, which is that kind of a lie because God loves us just the way we are. And that was a big freedom for me when I realized God loved me just as my flawed self, that I didn't have to be perfect to, to come before God. In fact, it's quite the opposite. God loves brokenness. You know why? Because when we're broken, we're vulnerable and we're open. That's a good thing about rock bottoms. When you hit a rock bottom, there's only one way you can look, and that's up. And you look at, at us as creatures, the way we've been designed as babies. We come into this world and we're totally helpless. We're totally dependent. And if we are blessed with, with growing old, growing, you know, old age, we return to that state of total dependence and total helplessness so that we almost become childlike before we can cross over. Mm. You know, you, you look at another way I look at it because I, when I teach drama, I teach actors, I talk about this, that it's all in breathing. It's all about being in your breath, being in your heart, you know. You know, it's, physically we're attached to this umbilical cord. And so when we're in that state in the womb as a fetus, it's just, it's not something we've had to learn. It's just, we're just born that way. And we come out into this world. And the first thing we do is we go, <gasps> we take a breath and we're alive. And the last thing we do is we go, <sighs> We exhale. And that's the thing that connects every single living organism in this world that we live in, is breath. We we are the Western world somewhat can teach people that we're our minds or we're our bodies. But you can live without a mind, just look at a brain dead person. You can live without a body, look at a paraplegic. But the one thing that we cannot live without, the one thing that defines us, the one thing that gives us a breath of life is this, is the breath. And that's creation. And for me, I believe we blow in it, we breathe in our spirit when we come to life and our spirit leaves our body when we pass. And without breath, which is something we don't even, you know, it's just innate. It's just like how innately we will grow teeth. Innately we will learn to walk. Unless, of course, you've got a congenital illness or something like that. You know, and, and so I always think, you know, as, a, as an artist, as a creative, I'm always going back to the basics of what makes us human in order to get to humanity because that's all I am. I'm a storyteller of humanity. I'm a portrayer of humanity. I portray human behavior. So it's a big part of my job to try and understand what makes us click. And I guess that's where nursing was a really great career 
because I was one of the last classes to be hospital trained. So we'd have three weeks on a ward and then one week in university or nurses school. So I got up close and personal with watching stuff like brain surgery. I got up close and personal like watching babies being born. I got to see some of the most dramatic stuff working in accident, accident and emergency. I got to see just things I will, I will never forget and learn things that have proved to be like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is our number one basic need is, of course, air, water, food, love, things like that. So that proved to be a really good foundation for what I then went on to do, which was come back to what I believe was my true calling, which was to be a creative, was to be a storyteller. I wonder how you did reconcile, I suppose, the notion that you may not have been able to follow that path, given that, like you were saying earlier, there wasn't any real diversity on on screens particularly i would imagine in, in you know somewhere like rural new zealand how did you kind of reconcile this idea that you may not have a career in a creative field or was that why you moved overseas no no and no, it, it 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 i don't even have to do a reconciliation about that because you you know that's the great that's the gift of youth when you're young, you don't know anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> you don't learn these things till you get old, Alistair. You look back and go, oh, damn, I could have done that, or I could have <laughs> right. done this, or I should have done that. This is the gift of youth. I went to London with two quid, two pounds in my pocket, and one phone number. Not once did I think, what am I going to do if my friend does not answer this phone number? And this was in a time when there were no cell phones. This was in 1982. This is the gift of youth. You live totally and selfishly. You are consumed with the moment. You have no concept of the future and you have little perception of the past. You have everything. You're invincible. It is the gift of youth. And then you fall over, you get knocked down or you get bruised or you get battered. And that's life. You know, and... Um, yeah, that fearlessness and recklessness that comes with youth, you know, because once you get burnt, you once bitten, twice shy. So it's not at all like I went through a period of like, oh, damn, I could have been this, that. It didn't even occur to me back then because I didn't know any better, Alistair. You know, there was there was one thing that my mother looked up in a newspaper because it was, it was an ad advertisement looking for young Maori girls for a, a show that was going to tour internationally. And she rang it up and, you know, to perform on boats and in clubs and things, she rang this organization up, but it was kind of to be topless. And she's like, no, nope, you're not doing that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so enough. it wasn't that my, it wasn't that my parents were against it. It's just it was just it wasn't a career in New Zealand. I doubt that it was a very much of a career in, in Australia in the in the late 70s. And you got to remember, too, the majority of women at that point were still being housewives or secretaries, teachers, or nurses. So it wasn't just a, a diversity of being biracial or colour. It was also what was happening in terms of where we were at, were at in, our, in our society. So you, you don't really know that you've been denied of something if you never had it in the first place. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was never an option to me. So, no, I, I was too busy having fun, Alistair. <laughs> I was too busy being 
young and and discovering everything and you know i moved from this from a country bumpkin and i moved to the city as 18 and that in itself was an enormous adventure and going through culture shock i mean i came out of a town that was 98 percent maldi that was 98 percent native and i went into a class of 66 girls and i was the only maori girl so that was an enormous culture shock and i look back at how i adapted really because it was an extreme culture shock and i cried and i'd ring my mother every night and i just want to come home i just want to come home and they wouldn't let me go home so that was good because i hung in there but you know i took to uh, the fashion at the time which was at the end of the punk rock era going into scar and and all of that, and really, I look back on that, and it's I affiliated with the outsiders because I felt like an outsider, and I think most creatives feel like outsiders because we're different. That was another thing that I experienced throughout childhood, that I think is very common amongst creatives because we're hypersensitive, and other children perceive us to be different or perceive us to be something that is threatening to them. But we often are the ones who get bullied. And, oh, yeah, I got bullied and picked on throughout my childhood. Mm. So that's a common thing that happens with creatives because there's something about us. I can't articulate it because I would often think, why me? Why are they always beating, on, beating up on me or picking on me? I guess I was vulnerable, you know. I was vulnerable and I would never fight back. Because I didn't want to hurt anybody. Well, there's that empathy and that sensitivity. <laughs> Absolutely. And that I was an empath. And, I, you know, it was hard growing up like that, being hypersensitive. Because I could feel and see, feel everything and see everything. You know, and, and people often, I think, will find creatives very odd or unusual. Or often, I mean, I think there's one too many, spec. I, I shouldn't be careful what I say, but there are a lot of spectrums out there in this day and age. I, I think I would have fitted on mul multiple spectrums. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, you know, you're lucky as a creator if you, if you can get to that place in your life where you've hung in there and you, 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 your uniqueness and your oddness or your eccentricities have become your best friends. But growing up, it was very difficult because you just, children need to fit in. Children need to belong and children need to be liked. I, I think the, the notion that the hanging in there is very, is a very apt sort of point. And I was reading uh, in an interview that you gave a few years ago um, where, you, where you said something to the effect of, uh, you know, there's, it's a hard slog and there's a lot of sacrifice involved with being an actor and that you almost left it all behind in, in 2014. Which oh, was, yeah, every decade, every I, decade. I mean, <laughs> well, I'm quite taken yeah. by that as that notion considering the success that you have had, you know, with Once Were Warriors, yeah. with Star Wars, with, with AI, and, you know, now with shows like Sirens. What, yeah, Perseverance, you know, it's, it's, it's happened every time. I kid you not, this has happened on, on, a, on a regular basis pretty much every decade. Um, and I think that that word perseverance is not is not appropriate just to our industry. It's appropriate to any industry. It's the ones who persevere. It's the ones who never give, give up. 
if you hang in there long enough, it does it does come back to you. And I remember the first decade I did once for Rory's. I mean, I'd done a lot. Of, I was doing a lot of theatre and bits of television work, and and I remember complaining and moaning to my mother that I felt like I was working my butt off because I was also having to do jobs. Um, you know, to pay rent. So I was just like running and hustling uh, that whole first eight years. And I remember going, I'm going to give it up because I just, I've got nothing to show for it. I'm just tired and I'm working my butt off. And, you know, I was kind of losing hope. And she said, just said, she just said, just hang in there, girl, just hang in there. And, you know, if I hadn't hung in there for, for one more year, I would never have been gotten Beth and Once Were Warriors. And I remember when I got that role, I felt, wow, I felt like I had earned that role not only did I feel like I had earned that role I was ready for it and then you know I went on to do other stuff other tv series more films indies as you say studio I guess on that topic you know us Kiwis you know we as Sam Neill said you know we invented the word modesty so we don't really brag we don't show off we don't really talk about ourselves which doesn't help in a country like America but I am actually the only actress in the world to have worked with both George Lucas and Steven Spielberg there's only been six actors and I'm the only female so that is a that's pretty awesome that's a pretty amazing thing to say (laughs) yeah yeah go 10 years forward I would have gone through the same process because this, and then Ted, 10 years later, the same process. And then the same similar process with, with what happens with Siren. Because you get to that point. Here's the thing about this game, which is why I never recommend it. I don't. I say to youth two things people have got to eat, food industry. And secondly, people get sick, medicine. If you get a career in food or medicine, you'll always have a regular job because people have to eat and people get sick. The arts will always be considered a luxury. I personally don't see them as a luxury. I see them as a necessity. And I do see that writers are recorders of history as our filmmakers. And we're all commenting on aspects of, of our race and our evolution and history and culture. But I remember with... Um, Sorry, because you do, you just get to that point where you just, you can't, you don't know where your next paycheck. So this is where faith, going back to our early conversation, where faith played an enormous part. Because I, if I didn't have faith, I wouldn't have lasted 10 years in, in this career. But I had faith and I lived on faith and I knew that God would always provide. And I would get taken right down to the wire, like zero bucks and then boom I'd get a job and every time and I do believe in the saying faith is always rewarded because we're 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 having the spiritual emotional dependence upon who we believe to be our creator that our creator will take care of us and when you do believe that it does become a truth what's been a truth for me and I remember before Sirens, well, actually a few years before then, it was getting, well, accumulation really. I, you know, I was in my 50s and, and I was like, okay, I just, I can't do this anymore. You know, I, I'm just too old to keep living like a student and juggling credit cards and going in, working, putting lots of work in auditions and going in and doing it and busting butt and then getting rejected and having nothing to show for it. And I remember before Sirens, I had this real heart-to-heart talk 
with my creator and I just said, you know what, if it's if the acting dream is done, if it's over, it's okay. It's okay. I'm I'm okay with that. I've had an interesting life. I've had a great career. It's okay for me to move on. But you got to tell me what you want. And the question came back to me loud and clear, and it was, what do you want? Hmm. And I had to explore, and it was a very intimate process, and it had to be honest, and it was vulnerable, because I really had to explore my heart and identify in my heart what I what it was that I really wanted. And in the bottom of my heart was still this little candle burning for to work as an actor in America. And I remember feeling it and seeing it, and I remember crying. Because it, it is often hard for us to ask for what we want because we're afraid we won't get it. But I owned it. I said, yes, okay. I still have a desire in my heart to work as an actor in America. But I would just really like to get a role that I'm right for just the way I am. I'd also like it to be a role that would come with income so I can pay off debt and support myself. And I kid you not, within that week I had multiple auditions. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm still in the game. By the end of that second week I'd book Siren. Not, not more than two to three weeks had gone by before I booked Siren. And I got exactly what I asked for, a role that I was perfect for just the way I was, a, a unique and original role, and it came with a regular paycheck. So, you know, these things, I am a testimony. My life is a testimony. I mean, there's many, many more stories that I, I can't go into right now, but where there's just gone, you know, there's no explanation for that except the grace and mercy of a God who loves me unconditionally. And that's the thing that's worked for me and helped to set me free is that I do believe in a God that loves me unconditionally. It's not conditional. And that's where religion has let down a lot of people or where they've used it to control, like, oh, well, God won't love you if you do this or you do that. God loves us just the way we are. And God really only asks for one thing in return, that we love the God of our understanding. And I always like to, you know, credit where credit is due. But, yeah, I wouldn't still be in this industry if I did not have faith and if I wasn't a believer and a power that was the ultimate creator. I mean, I've developed this project, as I'm sure you've read about, this big epic project based on the first historical novel to be written by a Māori called Behind the Tattooed Face, and the whole way that was written was, I won't take credit for it. There is a character in the script that did not come out of the book. All I did, I'll take credit for listening and following. And that's what intuition is for me as well, creative intuition. Like, I've always been intuitively intelligent, and I just thought that that's the way everybody was when I was growing up. But it wasn't until I was... Um, well, I did pass school C and UE without studying a lot because when I saw things, I thought that they were basic, black and you know, simple. One plus two equals three. But it really wasn't until I started working in theatre and I thought people saw scripts the way I saw it, and that I realised no, we, it's not. You know, I, I would always see things with those intuitive eyes, or I would feel it. it it's like when I'm working as an actor, I, I never watch. And people have often asked me why I don't watch. And I go, because that's not my job. What it looks like is the director and the cinematographer and makeup and wardrobe. That's their job. What it looks like is their job. My job as an actor is what it feels like. 
So if I start to suddenly go and look at the monitor, then guess what? I'm going to go into my head. I'm going to go into my mind and I'm going to start judging and criticizing. And that's never good for creativity. I've got to stay in the, in the source. I've got to stay in my intuition, which is in my belly and in my heart, and just trust. You know, I'm, I'm, I am a very intuitive create, creative, so I trust that. And, uh, yeah, and that's part of my what I believe is my gifting or my, my talent from, from my creator. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's a very pertinent point you make. Um, understanding and 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 kind of knowing, particularly in in collaborative creative industries, what your job is and what your task is, and and um, you know placing your trust in uh, in other people's you know expertise and profession. Um, and like you say, you don't want to get you know you don't want to become too analytical when you uh when you're um doing something creative no yeah we're we're our own worst critics we're not we're not subject we're 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 not objective we're subjective i wonder if you have noticed any sort of consistent traits through all of these amazing people that you've worked with over the years uh any if there were any consistent traits that they've had that you think have set them up for careers with longevity they've all They've all stayed very close and very connected to their inner child, the source of their creativity. They're all big kids in their play pens. And the only thing that really differs is the budget. So with, with George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, they've got really big play pens, huge play pens. But, you know, they're the same breed. The only difference was is... George is a lot more introverted and shy, and Spielberg's very extroverted and very sociable. But all of these I found with um, Seth MacFarlane is, is another creative I've worked with recently who very much works in that zone and is just like he's a kid at a party. You know, and I do believe that our inner child is the source of our creativity, and that's that part of that fabric of God is in our inner child. And you can always see that with people who are very connected to their inner child because even though our bodies might get older, we, we always have this kind of youth and this, you know, this this youth and this energy of enthusiasm and, and passion because we love what we're doing. So that's a another big element of it is being connected to your inner child and remaining childlike and uh, remaining passionate and enthusiastic and loving what you do. Because if you love what you do, then your energy for it is endless and your enthusiasm for it is endless. So that was always something every every creative, um, you know, amazing creative I've worked with is they've all had that childlike quality uh, and, yeah, the, the sensitivity. I, I don't think in some ways I don't think you can be a creative without having that sensitivity yeah. or that empathy you know, uh, that insight, um, perseverance, the belief, the belief in something bigger than themselves, whether that's a vision, um, a vision or a God, whatever you want to call it. It's just, I do believe though, I, I do believe that I used to struggle with coming to terms with like, well, okay, on one hand it's destiny. And then on the other hand, life is what you make of it. 
So I think I found that a healthy balance by going, okay, God creates opportunities, but what we do with those opportunities is our personal responsibility. Yeah, and I think that's a really, uh, that's an empowering way to kind of frame it as well. It is because you know what? The onus is on you to show up. Yeah. God can't do, God, God can't use us if we don't show up. God can't use us if we're not available. You know, creativity can't flow for us if we're zoning out or we're being couch potatoes. Mm. You know, we've got to, this is, we help to create our opportunities. And I think by showing up and persevering, we're proving ourselves to a certain degree where the process trusts us, go, well, they showed up for this, they'll show up for that. You know, to, to, it's like that saying to much to who much has been given much is expected we are all servants i believe at the end of the day and particularly more so when we've chosen creative careers and this is what a lot of i think this is what people this is a really important thing that the successful people i've worked with all know and believe we're servants we're just vehicles we're just instruments and we're there to serve our audiences it's a servantile job. We're there to entertain people, to educate people. So the people who I found to be mega, uber talented, whatever you want to say, uber successful, they've all come out of this place of humility. And that humility is attached and associated with their humanity. Yeah, and I think that's always going to be a great marker of success is what the depth of your kind of humility and I'm getting into a bit of a, a kind of earnest space here, but um, I think that's, I think that's a really great sort of thing to, uh, to reiterate. Yeah. And to aspire for, yeah. You know, when you, when you realize that you're working for a greater good, it always helps. Because we all, you know, we all suffer humanness. We're all going to sometimes get selfish or self-centered. But then when you go and look at it and go, you know, how can I be of service here? Or what am I actually, who am I actually helping here? And that attention goes on to something greater than yourself. It, it really does work. And I think that that's us. We re, we're dependent upon it as a race in order to survive. Mm. We're dependent upon the goodness of our of our neighbours, of strangers. We're dependent upon the goodness of our species. And I will always like to believe that goodness will always win out. Because I do believe that we fundamentally come out of an act of love, out of the ultimate act of creation. I mean, you know, you look at our species... Whoever created our species is pretty damn intelligent. We mm. just look at our bodies and how our heart and our brains and things work. I mean, it's it's just an intelligence that is like, who created this? I don't know. Maybe we'll all find out when we cross over, eh? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. You know, this is what I'm kind of saying. You know, I think for me, I just it is important for me to feel I have a relationship with God that – yeah, and I, I need someone like me. I do need to have that accountability because, you know, it's part of culture and part of creed that I can often be a little too proud. Or, you know, we, we yeah, it's, 
or get a little too arrogant or a little too whatever, you know, we, I have to keep myself an eye on myself because, so I think self-awareness is another really important quality, keeping yourself in check, staying humble, keeping it honest. I mean, for me to work as an actor and a writer, it has to come out of truth. You know, it's like, I remember Lee Tamahori saying this, about me in an interview, he said, you know, everything has to be real for Rena. It has to feel real. It has to be real. And Once We're Warriors was one of those films where I just intuitively knew that if anyone saw that we would, were acting, the work, the movie wouldn't work. Mm. It's very true. It's like now with Siren. I always knew this from day, what, day one. If Rin didn't work, if people did not believe her to be a mermaid or love on her and believe that the people around her were a real part of the fabric of this small town, the show would not work. So I think that that's a quality that all filmmakers and storytellers aspire. They aspire to bring a truth to the imaginary worlds they create. And I think... You know, acting, you, you go through the complexities and the hardships of your 20s and your 30s while you're still trying to figure yourself out and find yourself and, you know, trying to be clever or trying to whatever or fighting or rebelling or whatever you went through. You know, but life has a way of stripping it all away. It just does if you're fortunate enough to survive. Life has a way of just stripping it all away to you know, help us evolve into this place that comes with maturity. And in fact, we were talking about it today with um, our director, working with a wonderful director. And, you know, she said to me, she said, oh, thank you so much for being a teamster, you know, for being a player. And just, and I just said, you know, it's, it's, it's just all about keeping it simple. It's about keeping it simple in solutions. Um, and that's the gift of maturity. You know, youth is wasted on the young. And it's, I hate to say it because I'm showing my age now, it's true. Youth is wasted on the young. <laughs> now I'm like my aunties that went, oh, God, if I only knew what I know now <laughs> at your age. But you know what? We does, it doesn't get to go down like that because yeah. we evolve. It's called growing up. And, you know, with maturity, you get to be more comfortable in your skin. You get to learn how to trust yourself more. And once you get to that place where you can trust yourself, you start trusting those around you. I used to be a terrible perfectionist, Alistair, in my, the first couple of decades of my career. I was a terrible perfectionist um, because I always aspired to be perfect and it would never, ever be good enough until you realize that aspiring to perfection is a futile process because really only God is perfect. But that the worst part of being a perfectionist is you persecute yourself and you persecute those around you. And you really do. But you can't get out of it until you become secure. And in order to become secure, you've got to learn to trust and trust others and trust the process. And so now work is, and, and I remember Michael Caine, I was very lucky as a young actor in London, Michael Caine used to run master workshops and he talked about that, you know, cause it is all a process of relaxation and letting go. But he said, you know, in order for you to let go, you've got to be secure. In order to be secure, you've got to have done your homework. And, um, 
and and you know when you look at all the masters of whether it's sports or or just those that are, are really good at what they do, it, they make it look easy, Alistair, and yeah. it is easy because they've gotten to that place where it just does itself. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. There's that ease, yeah. that comfortability, and I think also the the acknowledgement or the knowledge that the art is actually in the imperfection. It's not in the not in the uh, the perfection, I guess, as you say. Absolutely no, it's not. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a path to perse persecution, and <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm glad I got over that one. But as I say, a lot of these lessons, we we all have to just, you know, a lot of us. They, that's why they call growing pains because it hurts sometimes. But you know, there's kind of no shortcut to mm. it. Yeah, and. It, there's no shortcut through your teenage years, which I don't think I'd want to go through teen teenage years again. I mean, I distinctly, distinctively remember the poignant moment where I lost my innocence and became aware when I saw myself in the mirror and I had a pimple on my chin. And suddenly in that moment, that innocence was gone and it was painful because I saw this pimple. And I suddenly became self-conscious. It was horrible, actually, going through teen years. I don't think I'd want to do that again. Um, you know, and then there's no shortcuts through your 20s and your 30s. And so if you get to hang around, it, it does. It does, you know, I've, it's almost like, for me, the, the most kind of more recent shift is, is the, the blessing that Siren has afforded me is it feels like, yay, I finally got over the hump and have been able to move out of the hustle mode and just go, yay, I've got a regular job for a season of time. And just to relish it and to enjoy And I love playing Helen. I just, she's the best character. And I just, I just have a blast with her. And I think that's a lot also to do with the fact that I now I'm at a place where I just dig on myself the way I am and with all my oddity and cray cray and <laughs> <laughs> you know that and that translates to the character because that is the gift of your 50s actually you walk into an unlike your 20s or your 30s you walk into auditions and you don't care you just you're psychologically saying take it or leave it like it or lump it I don't really care anymore you know yeah it does because you've earned those stripes to a certain degree, and you don't, you, you know, you, you, you're not of that age where you, you, you're looking to people please or you're looking for people to whatever. You just you're just showing up and going, this is me, you know. If if, if I fit in, in your vision, boom, if, you know, it's just, and that's exactly what happened with Siren. I'd gotten to that point in my life where it's just like, okay, I'm happy to throw the towel in and move on and. But you know, I got additions. So I'm like, okay, I'm still in the in the in, still in the game, and just walked into the room, and this is me, and just did my bit and booked. You know, so it's not even it's not even a conscious confidence. It's I don't know what the right word. It's a, it is it was an act of surrender. I mm. do know that. Yeah. It was a real act of surrender and letting go, and just going, okay, I'm just going to totally trust where life takes me. So it, it just kind of flowed. And that's that's kind of a word I'm trying to, you know, kind of just be more mindful of where I'm at right now, which is just allowing things to just flow. I think there's something uh, to, to kind of circle back as we kind of wrap up. I think there's something very yeah. graceful in allowing things to flow. Um, and yeah, I mean, this has been a 
this has not been the sort of conversation that I thought we were going to have, but it's been an incredible, uh, incredible chat. I'm really, really grateful for your insights. Um, I finish all of my conversations with, uh, with the same question, which I guess kind of links into the childlike uh, uh, trait that you mentioned before that a lot of these people have maintained. And it's in the irreverence, I try to end the conversation on, a, with, on, a, on an upward note. And the question is, what makes you silly? <laughs> oh, oh god my laugh i've got they they actually wrote about it in my in my school high school reference she has a distinctive laugh i do have a very distinctive laugh so when i laugh the whole room laughs it's an, an infectious laugh people love it when i laugh because they can't help but laughing with me and it is a, a very silly laugh um and and i'm just yeah, I like being silly. I like just, I just, I just, I like having fun, and 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 it is something that's come with maturity, because I I was full of so much angst in my earlier decades. My angst, you're just angst-ridden, and you're desperate to succeed, and all those things. But you, you get to just kick back and be silly and have fun. You know, the longer you stay in this industry, and I've been in it now over thirty years, so I consider myself very blessed and you just get better at just being present and relishing the moment and and in those moments comes a lot of silliness because you just don't take yourself too seriously anymore <laughs> you know yeah. and you shouldn't whereas in your 20s and your 30s my god i took myself so seriously yeah <laughs> my grandfather <laughs> always used to say when we were when we were growing up yeah um, thou shalt obey particularly the 11th commandment thou shalt laugh especially at thyself yeah Absolutely, absolutely, and we should always laugh at ourselves. And I, and I think for me, you know, I'm also at that point where it's like, yeah, you've got to be quick to laugh at yourself and quick to forgive yourself. But you know, the ultimate medicine I have found, and as hippie as it sounds, it is true. It's self-love. Mm. You got to love on yourself because nobody else will. Well, they they may, but you know, self-love is the ultimate medicine. When you when you when you love on yourself, um, you, you forgive yourself. You just allow you you take better care of yourself. You're honouring yourself, and and in the process of doing that, you're honouring your maker, because you're at your best when 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 you you're loving on yourself. And uh, yeah, it's hippie, but <laughs> God, it, it remains to be true. Love, it, yeah. it's all about, it, and it's what the world we sorely needs. Is I mean. We, we're seeing way too much hate and way too much war and all those things. And, you know, just wherever you can shine love and light, I've always kind of aspired to do that as a creative. But, yeah, next time let's next time we'll have a good chat about my career. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll do part so two, we, the yeah, pragmatic we will, we'll version. We'll do part two, but it's been great to talk with you, Alistair. And, um, yeah, yeah, laugh, la live. What were those four words back in the 80s? God, it was live, laugh, live. Live, laugh, live, love. Love, light. Yeah, it was those four hours. Live, laugh, light, love. Yeah. It's true. And they still remain true to this day. So God bless you, Alistair. And <laughs> I look forward to part two. Thank you very much, Ren. I really appreciate your time. Mm -hmm.